This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. In this episode, I speak with John Mackey, founder and CEO of Whole Foods Market. Mackey is also a best-selling author who popularized the idea of conscious capitalism. His new book talks about why a Whole Foods plant-based diet is the optimum choice for health and longevity. But we get into a lot more in this interview including his thoughts on why people are changing the way they eat, whether plant-based meat alternatives or cellular agriculture is good for our health, and how can we help feed the world's growing population. Before we get into the interview, a quick note. When I got the chance to sit down with John Mackey, we had no intentions of starting a podcast and hadn't set up our studio or equipment yet. That's why the quality of this recording isn't great. It's got the sounds of New York City, including sirens and traffic as the backdrop. But I hope the quality of the conversation makes up for the mediocre sound quality. Now to the interview with John Mackey. So you, you've led Whole Foods for uh... Since the beginning, from its uh, humble um, storefront in Austin, Texas, to now becoming a billion-dollar company that has, I think, in many ways, in the last many years, paved the way for, to safe to say, paved the way for the organic food economy in, in the U.S. Um, so you've done that. You've also written a best-selling, co-written a best-selling book um, on conscious capitalism, which brings together the idea that profit and purpose are not mutually exclusive and can work together, and that companies that in fact blend that together in the most authentic way and meaningful ways um, can be more competitive in the long run. So I think conscious capitalism, the reason I bring that up is I personally was very uh, influenced by that book in many ways when I was starting One Green Planet. Our goal was to be a mission-driven media company, and um, I think that idea still to see that, not just in what we do, but to see that now being broadly um, being applied as a movement, which you've been part of in many ways right. through the conscious capitalism organization that you have. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge that and up, up Thank you. That that's been yeah, it's, very useful. It's, uh, when I wrote Conscious Capitalism, that was a, a, 
bucket list book I had to write, and this is a bucket list book I had to write too, The Orchid's Diet. So two, two checks on the bucket list. Book. Great. So that brings us to this book, which is, you've written other books on that topic as well, on, uh, on conscious capitalism. But this book is very different. It's about food and about how uh, the food you eat can transform your health. So I guess my first question to you, it's a, it's a two-part question, is one, why this book? Um, and why do you think it's needed now? Why do you think people need it now? I think there's a lot of confusion. I mean, there's so much contradictory information out there about what's healthy. And anybody can hold themselves out as sort of a, a guru about food. And increasingly, I see these best-selling books that I think are completely not scientifically based at all. And people are always, people are, they want to hear good things about their bad habits. So you want to write a book that's telling people the food they like to eat is actually really good for them? Well, you're going to sell a lot of those books. And in fact, that's what's happening. Uh, and I'm not going to single any particular books out, but there's a bunch of them out there, and they're been bestsellers, and they are going to do a lot of harm to people. So there's a lot of confusion, and yet the science to me is crystal clear, and that we should be eating real foods and mostly plants. I mean that's, that's the way that's the way we evolved. I mean we're the, our closest uh, genetic relatives are chimpanzees and bonobos, and they're 95% plant-based, and gorillas are about 100% plant-based, and we flourish when we begin to eat that way. You have the blue zones evidence now, where the five longest lived peoples on the planet eat the whole foods diet. They eat real food and they don't eat very many animal foods. So, uh, to, and then you have several, you know, the, the epidemiological evidence is overwhelming as well. So, if you begin to eat more animal foods, chances are very good that you're going to um, contract heart disease and cancer as you get older. And before there's like a lag period between those things. So people fear, they don't see the causes. They, cancer seems to strike randomly and unfairly, and yet the, the connection with animal proteins as being a growth promoter seems to me to be fairly compelling. And I just don't think people know this. So there's one other thing that's a big thing here that I, I, I want to explain to y'all is we have a program at Whole Foods Market we do for our, our most at-risk team members. Uh, those who have diabetes, those who have heart disease, those who are obese, or those who just have a lot of very bad biometric markers, like high cholesterol and high blood pressure. And it's voluntary, no one's forced to do it. You have to apply for it, actually. But we favor those who need it the most. And for one week, we take these less than healthy team members to a medically supervised uh, total health immersion where the doctors are all medical doctors but their their lifestyle uh, dietary doctors like Joel Furman, like John McDougall, uh, Caldwell Elsestad, some famous doctors in this larger movement. Uh, and as well as Scott Stoll is less well known because he hasn't written best selling books, but he's a he's solidly one of us, and <coughs> the changes that I see happen to people that go through that, I mean, when I tour our stores, I, any store I go into, people come up to me and thank me, because we've sent over 4,000 people through, 
so every store has usually several team members who've been through the program and it changes lives and it changes lives quickly I mean to people who've been type 2 diabetic or have heart disease to have their diseases reversed fairly quickly uh, they can get to be with their children and be with their grandchildren I mean they're, s they're so happy uh, to see people lose over 100 pounds in less than a year when they didn't think, they tried everything else and they couldn't figure out what to do. The amount of, dis a lot of people come to the total health immersion now with great hope. Initially when we started it like seven or eight years ago, there was, there was more skepticism, like, yeah, what is this all about? You just want me to become a vegan. When in fact, that's not what it's about at all. It's eating 90% uh, plant-based. Two of the four programs allow some animal foods in the diet, but they're all real food diets. They're all eating whole grains and beans, lots of fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds um, in small quantities, and when people switch to that diet, they begin to flourish. And the thing that surprised me the most is how quickly it happened. My own health journey took a while. I mean, it was over a number of years. I'm still on it, right? I'm still learning new things. I'm still changing. I'm still evolving. But these folks have the advantage of just getting the diet right, right from the beginning. And when they do, the transformations are amazingly rapidly. So I wrote this book, and why I call it a bucket list book. Think about it. I feel like I know how to help heal America. I, I, I walk down the street and I, I see people that are you know, obese or they're struggling and they can't walk and they're limping along and it's like, my heart just goes out of compassion. It's like, I have to try to do something. And I can't not could not have not written this book. It's just, it was eating away at me. I just knew I had to write it. I thought I would get a bigger platform for these ideas than some of the other doctors do because of the whole foods market. So anyway, that's why I wrote the book, to make a difference, to help people. Great. Um, I think one of the things I really liked about the book was, um, I think it, right, it, it touches on the first few pages itself, is that there's a lot of conflicting information out there about health. Um, and I. And I don't believe anyone should write or publish a health book in 2017 without acknowledging that fact first, is that if most people go on the internet and try to find out how do I eat healthy, there's everything from the low fat, high fat, high protein, low carb, high carb, grain free, no soy, <laughs> name it, uh, diets out there. So acknowledging that that confusion and that conflict does exist among experts, um, is required to firstly try to figure out why does that even exist? And I think you've done that effectively right up front in the book, which is important. But then I think what you try to do, and I'd love to hear more about it, is to see if you look beneath the, the buzzwords and the, and the hype of a lot of diets that are out there, there is a lot of common ground to be found. Yes. And a lot of the common ground that is found is in fact the one that is most scientifically backed. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about that? What did you find? When well, you I mean, there are a few things that pretty much everybody agrees about. Mm -hmm. No one's arguing we should eat more ref refined processed foods. There's, I've yet to see the sugar diet uh, uh, come on the scene. I've yet to see the eat more processed foods diet. Uh, everybody agrees that we eat too much sugar, we eat too many refined carbohydrates, we eat too much junk food. That's, there's a consensus about that. No one argues, and then the other consen big consensus is about uh, 
fruits and vegetables. Everybody agrees we should eat more fruits and vegetables. It doesn't matter if you're vegan, if you're paleo, uh, all these diets which say fruits and vegetables are essentially important foods. And yet, it's sim simply a fact Americans don't eat that many fruits and vegetables, particularly vegetables. Uh, and uh, in fact, vegetable consumption has dropped. Everything else has gone up in the last 40 years. Average calorie consumption has gone up 25% in the last 40 to 50 years, while vegetable consumption has actually declined. It's an astounding figure when you, when you look at it. Oil consumption has gone up like 66%. Mediterranean diet was really about uh, olive oil and red wine and not cutting anything back, but just pouring olive oil on things. So uh, that's a big contributor to the obesity problem is the amount of oils people are eating, because that's the most calorie-dense food on the planet. So there are, then there can be disagreements about how many animal foods we should eat from zero to you should just be an Eskimo and that's what you should be eating. Uh, or there can be, there are, are starch foods good for you or bad for you? Low-carb people think that starch foods cause an insulin response and that's a very bad thing to have an insulin response. Uh, if you read John McDougall's work, he believes that we evolved eating starches and starches are the best foods we can eat. And in fact, uh, if you eat a heavy starch, a whole food starch-based diet, that you will reverse diabetes rather than perpetuate it. So there is uh, disagreements that are out there. And, but still, if people would just eat more fruits and vegetables and eat, stop eating uh, refined carbohydrates, if they just did those two things, their health would rapidly improve because those are such important things. And uh, so there is consensus about some of the most important stuff. Great. And so you, so you recommend, um, I think the key takeaway from the book is 100% whole foods diet, at least 90% plant-based. Correct. Um, and that's not because you don't believe you can't do 100% plant-based, Is that's because of the research and current science. I mean, all three authors are 100% plant-based, mm -hmm. and I have a chapter in the book where I made my personal statement about change your plate, change the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's strong ethical environmental reasons to be plant-based, but strictly looking at it as the lens that we did in this book regarding health, mm -hmm. Do not think there's compelling evidence that a 100% plant-based diet is better than a 95% plant-based diet or a 90% plant-based diet. I think uh, it's the overall pattern that matters. And of course that upsets vegans because they've made an ethical commitment, as I have personally. But I just don't think the science backs it up uh, that 100% is better than 95%. And we know that if you're 100% plant-based, you've got to worry about few things like you got to make sure you're supplementing with B12, uh, although there's some that don't agree. I, I again think the science is compelling that you need B12 and as a guy who, who's been plant-based for 100% plant-based for 14 years and uh, I tracked my B12 and, and it, when I don't supplement it gets, it gets a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the one thing the authors couldn't get aligned on. The big fight we had, it went on for months, was about whether to supplement if, with, um, with a vegan uh, DHA, EPA, uh, to get the long chain omega-3s. Mm -hmm. And uh, my, my co-authors really felt like the science didn't justify it. And my argument was, there's so little risk, mm -hmm. and there's so much upside, and there's evidence that if you don't get enough 
the long chain to omega threes over time your brain shrinks. Mm -hmm. So and, and my father had Alzheimer's, so I'm really not into having my brain shrink. Mm -hmm. uh, but nevertheless, we had pretty much consensus on everything else. And uh, yeah, I'm really proud of the book. I think it reads well. Mm -hmm. I think it, it's the kind of book when you finish reading it, you're gonna feel a little bit smarter because it's gonna clear up a lot of the confusion that people have. And we really tried to ground grind ground it in where we think the science is. Yeah, and I think you've managed to pull together different experts and each of their individual point of view, which seems largely similar to the other, um, and draw the commonalities. You know, the Whole Foodie heroes, they agree on 98 to 99% of the stuff. Mm -hmm. And all their fights are on that 1 to 2%. Uh, uh, and it's, it's, I think it's a little bit, there's a little bit in food that's similar to religion. Uh, all the doctrinal squabbles that happen in any kind of religion or any kind of movement, I might add. Mm. And I'm in a lot of movements, uh, from from freedom movement to plant-based movement to animal rights movements, uh, I, people organic movement. I mean, I, people, the heretics are the ones that are hated the most. And the people that that agree on like you know 99%, but that one percent difference is where people you know, hate each other over. And I hated seeing it happen in this movement where I really feel like we need to rally together yeah. to present a, a united front on the core ideas. But, uh, so it's been very frustrating for me over the years to see so much petty squabbling yeah. when we have important work to do. And I, I think what's important, and I'm, the, I guess my next question is really on your, you mentioned that your, the reasons you eat 100% plant-based is, and you've outlined that in, in one of the one of the last chapters, uh, chapter 13, which gets into um, the ethical reasons why you choose to eat this way and what drove you to eat this way at first, and, and of course then you discover the health benefits as well. Uh, and, and to draw that distinction is important, that's a choice you're making, here's what you think may work for everyone, right. and it's up to them to make their own ethical I choice so. at I, the end of the day. The whole, at the end of the day, it's like a light. You either see it or you don't see it. I don't know how else to put it because it's so obvious to me. And I, I make arguments to people that seem to me to be overwhelmingly logical. As I made, I pointed out the argument I had with Milton Friedman. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and after he heard the argument and he couldn't answer it, he said he was going to become a vegan. Uh, his wife didn't like that. But, uh, so that's a funny way to end that chapter. Mm -hmm. But uh, most people aren't rational. Mm -hmm. Most people, they, they just don't want to know. They don't want to know what's happening to the animals. I, they don't, they don't want to know, and because they want to keep eating them, and so they don't want to feel guilty about it. So they, the, the human, the human mind's ability to sort of uh, push out of consciousness things that they don't want to think about or unpleasant is kind of astounding. Yeah, I think it's changing a little bit though. To, to I guess to shift gears a little bit to. What we've noticed, um, we, we, we've launched One Green Planet almost four years ago now, and have noticed a, a huge shift in the last four years itself on, uh, on consumer trends uh, as it relates to food. And we've seen it from our own growth, but also from people we work with, the rise in the number of experts in this field to the products available in Whole Foods today versus, say, four years ago. Uh, when you go to try to shop for plant-based options are way more now than they yeah. ever were. Um, 
the stats seem to be out there. What one third of Americans are choosing to keep meat off their plates. One a third of them are uh, prefer non-dairy milks to to dairy, and there seems to be some sort of a at least in the U.S. a shift away from animal-based foods. I'm not saying it's a it's a it's a one that that is significant enough where half the population is choosing to eat this way. But we seem to be trending upward on that front. And what's your experience either through, through Whole Foods sales data or your own experience talking to people and understanding market trends? Do you think there's a meaningful shift happening in the consumer base or? Well, here's, here's, here's what, what do you think is happening? Here's what I see. Here's what I think the statistics show. Mm -hmm. If you go back to 19, and you look at the animal food consumption per capita, um, it's actually 70% higher today than it was 40 years ago. But all of that gain occurred in the first 40 years, from 1940 to 1980. And what's happened now is that it's actually begun to decline. So it's down about 10 or 15% lower than it was about a decade ago. So yes, there's definitely a trend line in the United States eating fewer animal foods. However, it's such a high percentage still. I mean, if you take a plate mm -hmm. of the average consumption in America, it's, it's relatively depressing because 54% of the calories Americans eat come from highly processed foods, uh, things that have sugar, oil, and refined grains in it that are not whole foods. 32% come from animal foods. So we've got 86% of the plate taken up by things that we're saying really shouldn't eat or shouldn't do very, very little of. Only 14% of the plate is whole, real plant foods. So yes, animal food consumption has gone down a little bit. It's back about where it was in 1980 on a per capita basis, but that's still 70% higher than it was in 1940. And uh, if you look at the rest of the world, it's much more grim statistic because their animal food consumption is exploding. Yeah. And as people become more affluent, they want to eat. I always say the challenge that the human species has for food is calorie density. We crave calorie density because we evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. We're getting enough to eat was the real challenge. We like things that are calorie dense. We like things that are got sugar in them. We like things that are sweet. We like things that have a lot of protein in them. We like things that have a lot of fat in them. They're delicious. And we're genetically evolved to like that experience. And when, we're, when you become rich enough where you can three meals a day, you can eat calorie-dense food, it is no wonder that 71% of Americans are overweight and 38% are obese. And those trend lines are not slowing down. I mean, they're still going up. If you look at what's happening to our children, I mean, 70%, studies show that 70% of 12-year-old kids are already beginning to show signs of heart disease at the age of 12. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredible statistic. Uh, so in the rest of the world is, I mean, it's going to take a long time before they get up to American consumption of animal foods, but they're well on their way. Yeah. So there are some good trend lines in America, some bad trend lines in the rest of the world as we export our dietary preferences uh, around the world. But here's the good news. Organizations like yourself, Today, it's so much easier to get information out. It's, it's, uh, there's not such a lag period. And so it's the fact that I think the millennial generation particularly is interested in, uh, they're more envi very environmentally conscious, they're 
focused on sustainability, they want to eat, they want to have a, I mean, just from the environmental standpoint, eating a more plant-based diet is, is so much better for the environment. I, I really don't think how a person can think of themselves as an environmentalist mm -hmm. and not be sort of like a vegan. It's yeah. like, if you really care about the environment, the, the animal foods industry is creating 18% of all the greenhouse gases, at least that might be on the low side. Mm -hmm. They, the concentrated factory farms not only do a lot of cruelty from an ethical standpoint, but they're environmental disasters. You've got all of this toxic waste that these guys don't know what to do with from these, you know, pigs and chickens and cows all concentrated together. What do they do with it? Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, it gets into the groundwater. It's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's got to change. Yeah. And it, I think it will change. And I think it's because people have access to information that they didn't have access to mm -hmm. years ago that seemed to be limited to someone who really went out there and, and made an effort and bought a book or, or you know, tracked down something in a library. Today, what do you think are the biggest drivers? Is it sustainability? Is it um, health, animal welfare, all of it? Or um, is it also the values-based shopping trend that's happening with, with, with folks want to support companies that are doing good. The biggest trend is it because it's hip. It's hip. It's hip, it's cool. I see lots of young people try on becoming a vegan because their friends are, because it's it's trendy. And but if you don't get it grounded in knowledge or ethical concerns, it, it may not stick, it may not last. I mean there's a huge percentage of people now that are young people that were vegetarian or vegans at one point and you know, if you're a junk food vegan, mm -hmm. you're not going to have good health results. It's, it's in fact, animal foods are real foods, mm -hmm. and they're not as nutrient dense as whole plant foods. They're a heck of a lot more nutrient dense than sugar and refined carbohydrate, refined grains, and uh, oil. So if you're if you're eating a, uh, at least you're eating animal foods, you're eating real foods. And if you cut out the animal foods, and now you're just eating crap, a bunch of sugar and refined carbohydrates you're going to have bad health outcomes. And so a lot of people think it's the fact that they were vegan that's the problem. That's, that's not the problem. The problem is what they're, they're not eating real real foods. And I, I always say the real foods are the most important thing. Animal foods come second in yeah. the hierarchy of health. I think you have a, you put a, um, you have a concept called skillful eating you talk about. Yes, and skillful eating. That people aren't necessarily taught how to eat in a skillful way. Um, but they're ready to jump onto a label or some sort of a diet, but not really know what does that involve on a yeah. daily basis. I mean, people want, over our lifetime, I would argue that eating is probably, if you could quantify all the pleasure you have in life, eating would probably end up on top at the end of the day. I mean, sex, you start later and you end sooner. You eat from the day you were born to the day that you die. And it's intensely pleasurable for people, and it has such an impact on our health as well as the larger world environment that we're part of. And yet, people eat unconsciously; they don't eat skillfully. And if you're going to, it's it's in other words, it's such an important activity that we need to spend some time thinking about and studying, and to, to do it in, skillfully and intelligently. And we know that it takes to master like a foreign language or a musical instrument or almost any skill. They talk about the 10,000 hour mm -hmm. commitment. Well, I very much doubt most people spend 10 minutes mm -hmm. trying to think about how to eat in a more skillful way. I mean, even as I've been on this book floor, and I, 
you hear people talking in the halls, and, and one's going to, I'm thinking about trying a juice fast, or, but they don't know what they're doing or what they're talking about. They, they just hear things. Mm -hmm. They don't have any real foundation, uh, no real knowledge. Or whatever else you might say, people don't read books today the way they used to. They get their information from their friends or from Facebook or Instagram or, or um, stuff they hear, celebrities, what are celebrities doing? And so it, there is a movement, but I'm worried that it's not really on a strong foundation. Right. And, and if it's just trendy, uh, it could, the next, you know, you have bulletproof coffee one day and bone broth the next day, and we got coconut oils and miracle food. And there's, you know, if you're not grounded in actual research, you're not very skillful, you're just kind of blowing with the wind. Yeah, I think some of the biggest challenges we, and I think anyone who's trying to, to drive home facts and science and statistics is that there is information overload and, and, and attention deficit out there. You need trusted, skillful advisors mm -hmm. to help your editors, you might say, and I think yeah. that's part of what your job is. Yeah, and so, uh, so people are starting to at least become more aware. Um, the problem, as you said, is is there's a lot of conflicting information, fleeting information, people are trying it for five minutes and then moving on. Right. Um, to what extent, and there's also been this other shift in the last few years within the industry itself, um, probably in reaction to consumer interest in healthier, less processed foods, especially plant foods, um, the whole trend towards alternative proteins with billions of dollars being poured into companies that are uh, developing plant-based meats, um, mm -hmm. folks like Bill Gates backing some of them, big Silicon Valley VCs, even Tyson now investing, Tyson a meat producer, meat processor, investing in a plant-based meat company. What are your thoughts about that, which is another growing segment of the market that is in many ways responding some ways you can say responding to the consumer shift, but in many other ways is looking to solve the problem of how do you feed 9.6 billion people on planet Earth in 2050 when the demand for protein keeps increasing and so is our population. Right. And as of now, when people think protein, they typically think meat. So yeah. what, what's your take on that whole space? And, and Well, I've got a lot of thoughts about it. But the first thought, of course, is that you know Americans are obsessed with protein. And quite wrongly, uh, the uh, as a vegan, the question I get asked the most: Where do you get your protein? It's like protein's in every whole food. You, it's, if you're eating a whole foods diet, you cannot possibly not get enough protein. It's 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 everywhere, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, it's only if you're eating just like sugar and white flour and oil would you not get protein. Of course, Americans do eat. 54% of their calories from those type of foods. So it's, but then they also tend to eat a lot of protein. And the average American consumes two to three times more protein than they need. And so what happens to excess protein when you consume it? Actually, your body has to convert it into something else. You can't use the protein, it can't save it. So it puts actually quite a bit of stress on the kidneys to have to detoxify uh, excess protein. So the reason people want more protein is partly it's the propaganda that uh, the meat industry and dairy industry were putting forward for generations now. And part of it is part of that calorie density craving that we want, we want to have. It's like 
we want calorie density. We want more fat. We want more carbohydrates. We want more protein. We want more all of the macronutrients in a very dense form. And protein is not, is definitely in that type of craving. Um, so, my, that's my second thought. My third thought is that for all these alternative meats that are being produced is, you know, if they were whole foods, I'd feel differently about them, but I'm not going to single out any of the brands, but look at the ingredients in them. They're highly processed foods. I mean, isolated pea protein, coconut oil, and, co and canola oil are the top three ingredients in one of those, one of those burgers that's getting all this publicity now. Whatever else you might say, it might taste just like beef. Uh, it might be a good substitute for beef from an ethical standpoint, but from a health standpoint, mm -hmm. it is not a healthy food. And so one of the challenges that we're going to have to have going forward is uh, how can we produce these alternative meats that are also really whole foods? Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things I find interesting, a company Whole Foods actually invested in, uh, is an alternative cheese company called um, Kite Hill. Mm -hmm. And Kite Hill's cheeses are fantastic. And I knew after I tried their cheeses that I wanted Whole Foods to invest in them. Because they, have th they just have three ingredients. They've got almonds or almond milk. And they've got cultures. And they've got a little bit of salt in them. And so arguably, that is the kind of Whole Foods that we want people to be eating. And those, foods, those cheeses are delicious. Mm -hmm. And one of the hardest things people have to make 100% plant-based transition is mm -hmm. They can't give up cheese. Yeah. And oftentimes I'll say, well, you try these cheeses, and then it makes it a lot easier for them to do that. So my fourth thought is that down the road, if we're really able to grow uh, chicken cells and vats and it's cost effective, it's so much more ethical. My, my, my good friend Bruce Friedrich, who's mm -hmm. at the Good Food Institute, is a visionary in this regard. And I, I've, I've donated money to his efforts because I really admire Bruce in so many ways. And if, if we can grow beef, it's so much more humane. Mm -hmm. And if they can do it in a cost-effective way, I'm, I'm like two thumbs up. I won't eat it myself. Mm -hmm. I don't think animal foods and animal protein are very healthy. Mm -hmm. But it would be so much more ethical, so much less environmental impact. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely cheering for it. Go, yeah. team, go. Yeah. No, that's, and I think the future, the, uh, assuming those industries and those companies manage to scale up and, and, and produce, which some of them seem to be doing right now, enough in the U.S. and hopefully globally eventually, you may, we may end up hopefully in a place um, where that 10% of animal-based foods that they, some people choose to include in their diet could be replaced by um, some of the alternatives, whether it's and the cheeses. And that would be so fantastic, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you, as you pointed out, food's the, um, the biggest um, pleasure that people get. And I think um, if you tell them, well, you can have all of that, except it doesn't involve uh, complete environmental destruction, it is, doesn't involve um, keeping no an in confinement yeah. for the their whole lives and then killing them. And lastly, it doesn't, um, and, and it probably has better impact on your health, why wouldn't you do it almost? Uh, you, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm excited about that possibility. And, you know, we live in such an interesting time if you're, if you're into food, because 
there's more disruption going on in food right now in the last 10 years than in the previous thousand years combined. It's unbelievable the stuff we're happening, and this is a good example of a of a disruption. There's a lot of venture capital flowing into different food alternatives, whether it be meal kits and everything. There's food trucks. There's the whole ethnic food revolution is mm -hmm. is mating and having children, like say Korean barbecue or Japanese sushi tacos. And I mean, there's there's just uh, such an interesting time to be to be watching what's happening with food. And how do you? But what, how do you put yourself as well as Whole Foods? Um, what do you think is your role going forward in, in this, you know, revolution that's sort of starting to happen in the food space? Um, you've all obviously been part of it for many years mm -hmm. already in the organic food movement specifically, but now you carry most of these products now. Yeah. Um, how do you see you personally or Whole Foods or, or separately even if you want to talk about it? One of the things that we're doing at Whole Foods is, first of all, nobody can keep up with all of it. It's mm -hmm. personally impossible. And there's so much innovation, so much entrepreneurship going on that one of the things we're doing is we're partnering with more and more companies. Like we're making capital investments in some of the more innovative ones, such as Cod Hill, for example. And then we're also partnering up with what we call friends, friends of 365, friends of Whole Foods Market, where we're taking these young entrepreneurs one thing Whole Foods can provide for them is a platform and publicity. They get into our stores, they get a tremendous amount of publicity. So we're looking for cutting edge stuff that we think is unique and different and that we think our customers are gonna like. And then we may take an equity investment in those friends as well. And uh, so we are encouraging entrepreneurship in our, in our company and we're taking what we think are the best and brightest ideas out there and trying to, and trying to nurture them and mm -hmm. give them a, a place to, to strut, strut their stuff and show off to the world. Um, and then in addition, we have our own you know, venture investments, we have our own local loan programs, and Whole Foods has always been, not always, but for the last 10 years or so, we've been very committed to uh, making local loans to uh, s small startup entrepreneurs to help them get their businesses going. And uh, I mean, it's just astounding. I mean, look at the craft beer movement. Just take it down as one example. I mean, where was that like 10 years ago? I mean, it's just getting started. I remember when Sam Adams was like the only craft beer out there, Anchor Steam, if you were San that Francisco. Was 10, 15 years ago, not even that long ago. And now those guys, now it's, there's so many, I mean, there's so many interesting beers out there. It's, it's a, and I do admit, I do enjoy beer now and then. So uh, it's just amazing. If you look at, used to be, Think wineries, you thought, yeah, you're gonna go to Napa Valley yeah. or Sonoma County. Yeah. Every every place has their own they have their own wineries now. Yeah. Everywhere I go, there's little wineries everywhere and uh, they're they're turning out cranking out some pretty good wines. Yeah. It, it the number of food artisans and craftspeople that are now happening, the number of young entrepreneurs, how about farmers markets? Mm -hmm. Do you realize that if you go back twenty years, there was like half a dozen farmers markets in the entire country. You know, you have your, your big one in Union Square and in New York, and but they weren't common. Now, every town I go to, they've got farmers markets. Mm -hmm. And most towns have got several farmers markets at their cities. So it's, agriculture is being renewed. We, we, whether we're conscious of it or not, the whole industrialized, industrialized agricultural system is rapidly being transformed, it's rapidly evolving. 
new concepts like I just wrote the forward for a really interesting book that will be coming out uh, called Kissing the Ground. And it's, uh, it's about regenerative agriculture. So they gave, you know, I, I didn't really want to write this forward to these guys, but they kind of got to read it, you got to read it. And I read it and I thought, man, these are a lot of interesting, cool ideas here that I hope are going to happen. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'll write this forward. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of, it's fresh in my mind because I just sent it off to him this morning. Thank God I finally got that forward and it's been hanging over me. So there's lots of such yeah. cool, innovative stuff that's happening. It's, if you love food, it's just a great time to be alive. And Whole Foods, I think of you guys as really the ecosystem kind of pulling this together. I mean, you always have been with uh, we're, we're part of the ecosystem. But now no, you almost we're not the ecosystem, mm -hmm. but we are a player in the ecosystem. Yeah. It's it's a massive things happening all over the United States mm -hmm. and. We may have, um, we may be a bigger fish in that pond, mm -hmm. but we're in the pond. Got it. And yeah. we're 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 just excited to have lots of other fish out there now. Right. Well, I've got a one last question. It's going to be slightly different from all my previous questions. Um, it's it's the reason I'm asking this is one that we we get a lot uh, from our readers, um, and it, it tends to be very popular when we write about it and we we try to help people navigate the maze of doing this. So if I had uh, $50 and I was going to Whole Foods to attempt to do my weekly grocery shopping, how would you recommend I spend that money? Um, $50, obviously keeping in mind healthy food budget, all of that. Yeah, I mean, I know it's hard for people to believe this because mm -hmm. I'm a pretty wealthy guy, but I spend very little money on food, at least when I'm home. First of all, I do cook. Mm -hmm. I like to cook. I'm, I'm, I'm a whole foodie. Mm -hmm. and. So what I would do with that $50 if I was on a budget is I would focus in uh, a couple of primary areas. I would get the healthy starch foods like brown rice and quinoa and other whole grains. And if you're gluten-free, I mean, I eat a lot of steel-cut oats and my wife is gluten-sensitive, so we avoid gluten in our household, although I don't personally have a problem with it. And then I would get a variety of different kinds of beans. One interesting thing to me is all the heirloom beans that are starting to happen. But if you just want to go with you know, what you're familiar with, like black beans, and pinto beans, and lima beans, or split peas, or if you're into Indian food, uh, you, get, you can get some red lentils and yellow lentils. And those foods are so inexpensive. And they, you can, if you build your diet around those whole grains and those starch foods. You're going to get the calories that you need. You're going to get massive fiber that you need. You're going to get a lot of nutrient density. And then I'd invest a little bit of money, get some interesting spices. I happen to like cooking Indian food, so I'd get, definitely get some Indian spices. And then you get the vegetables that are in season. Uh, those are going to be your best buy for your money. And again, uh, there are a lot of great starchy vegetables, I might add. I mean, the Okinawans, one of the longest-lived peoples in the world, 70% of their calories or their elders came from sweet potatoes, 70%. Sweet potatoes, you can pretty much just live on them. They're so nutrient-dense. Um, and, and then other winter squashes and things like that. And then get the most nutrient-dense foods that you can eat are greens. Mm -hmm. So make sure you're going to get some collard greens, some kale. Teach yourself to love those foods. Uh, because they're so charred, those are so spinach, those are so healthy and so nutrient dense. You, know, you try to eat greens every day. Mm -hmm. And then maybe get a 
mean, I would also get a little bit, I'd invest a little bit of money in some of the healthiest seeds. Mm -hmm. I just think flax seeds and hemp seeds and chia seeds should be in everybody's diet. At least one of those should be. You're getting the omega-3s. I think flax is the best of the three because of the, uh, the uh, lignans, lignans that are in it that uh, really clean our intestines. And I, I've got money left over. <laughs> I mean, we just f fed the family for a week and we still got money left over, so maybe you indulge in getting some fruits, mm -hmm. you know. Berries, I think, particularly are a super healthy food. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if you get them in season or get them on sale, they're not mm -hmm. that expensive. Uh, I mean, if you really love mangoes, or you can, you know, go in for a little bit on some of the exotic fruits if you want to as well. And now you've got this super healthy, nutrient-dense diet. You didn't spend that much money. Mm -hmm. It isn't that hard, but you've got to be eating skillfully. Yeah, you've got to know what you're doing. Yeah, you pack your uh, don't grocery buy a cart. bunch of potato chips. <laughs> <laughs> you pack your grocery cart with that, but you don't know what to do with it, and then you're in trouble. Um, so you, you have, have to, you learn, have to learn, learn how to learn. cook a little bit. I remember we talked about mastery. You don't need 10,000 hours, yeah. but you can learn fairly quickly how to cook the basic foods. The average, some people, they don't know how to, they don't know how to cook rice. Mm. I mean, buy a rice cooker. Mm -hmm. Cook can be easier. Yeah. I mean, I travel, like I'm on the road now for a couple of weeks on this tour, and I brought my rice cooker with me. I got a little mini rice cooker. I've got it hooked up to my hotel room. Yeah. I got steel cut oats. I got some berries in a little fridge. I got mm -hmm. some unsweetened almond milk. I got breakfast, <laughs> and I'm only spending less than a dollar on that breakfast, even mm -hmm. with the berries in it, because the oats cost about 10 cents. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the breakfast is taken care of, and if you eat greens and salad for lunch, which I just did today, then that's taken care of. Get some, I'll get some beans and, and some kind of grain or starch food tonight, and some more greens. Mm -hmm. I had a very healthy, healthy day. Yeah. So it's possible. It just requires some amount of effort, which a little bit of read the whole food diet. It's going to have most of what you need to know. Right, right. We do have a follow-up cookbook coming out in about nine months. Oh, great! Wow, excellent. So I think that kind of wraps it up. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me in today. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nils Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.